Welcome to episode 11 of the Seeking the Military Suicide Solution podcast brought to you by the Military Times. I'm Dwayne France. And I'm Doc Shauna Springer. And we'd like to thank you for taking the time to learn more about suicide in the military-affiliated population. If you think you know somebody who might want to check out the show, share this episode with them, tag them on social media, send them an email with a link, or just tell them about it the next time you meet. You can see all of the shows by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash STMSS. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Mill Media Group. Mill Media Group is a proven web design and digital media agency specializing in supporting organizations focusing on the military population. Find out more about them at millmediagroup.com. Thanks again to everybody for joining us to listen to an honest conversation about service member veteran and military family suicide. We'd also like you to join our Facebook group moderated by a fellow combat veteran, D. James. You can find the group by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash group. Today's guest is somebody who has lived the military life and is a voice of wellness and growth. No sector of the military and veteran population is free from the impact of suicide, and that includes the special operations community. Our guest today, Commander Mark Devine, has long experience with our nation's elite warriors. Shauna, what can you tell us about Commander Devine? Yes, so after completing his bachelor's degree and an MBA program, Mark Devine then left his high-paying finance career to become a Navy SEAL officer. At 26, Mark Devine graduated as Honor Man, which is the number one ranked trainee of the SEAL Buds class, number 170. Mark served for nine years total on active duty and 11 as a reserve SEAL, retiring as commander in 2011. His leadership of teams was so effective, the government tasked him with creating a nationwide mentoring program for SEAL trainees. What made Mark's program so effective was his focus on more than just physical fitness. For example, he has a deep background in Eastern medicine practices like breath control, meditation, and mindfulness, tools that can reduce stress and promote a healthy mind state. Commander Devine joins us today on Seeking the Military Suicide Solution podcast to help us better understand suicide in the special ops community and to discuss programs he has developed to reduce suicide in the veteran population. Yes, this is, again, in keeping with our idea of trying to find other guests outside maybe the mainstream academic mental health professionals. I think Commander Devine had a lot to offer in this conversation, so I really look forward to sharing this with the audience. We'll get into the conversation and come back afterwards to pull out some of the key points. One of the reasons or the main reason that I brought you on the show is that the suicide rate in the special operations community, like it is in a number of veteran and and military communities, is high, but it's a little unique in the special ops community. And I was wondering what you thought about what was happening, both maybe active duty and in the veteran space in the special ops community. You know, I think a lot of people would think that spec ops guys and ladies are kind of immune (laughs) to post-traumatic stress because of their training and their, their mental toughness, uh, whether that's learned in, the, in their pipeline or in their training programs, or it's part of who they are when they go in. And the reality is, is that um, trauma doesn't discriminate between an elite operator and you know someone who might be doing some other more mundane job. 
And in fact, it can work against these guys because they're right, have to project this image of being the super tough person that doesn't get affected by that stuff. It's just the culture of like, we're a bunch of badasses, that stuff doesn't affect us until it does. So that's an issue that I think is one of the problems that the special ops have is that cultural needing to be like the tough guys and girls and, and not showing that or seeing that as a weakness. The other is our elite operators have to do uncommon things in order to meet their mission. And one of the things they have to do is just be these extraordinarily effective shooters and parachuters and demo people, right? And what we know now from these things is that every time you shoot a bullet, every time you breach a door, every time you jump out of an airplane, you're getting some level of traumatic brain injury. And over time, that TBI really, really builds up and leads to major trauma that then shows up as post-traumatic stress or, or complements or augments post-traumatic stress. And TBI and PTS are closely related, even though they're not the same thing. But when you put them together, holy cow, you get a, a one-two sucker punch that could be really traumatic and lead to suicide because the TBI has caused major changes to the brain, which are not allowing the brain to operate at a healthy level and trap the vet. Then you layer on top of that all the moral and spiritual wounds of combat and you get a, a really nasty cocktail. So there's a few reasons I think why special operators aren't immune <laughs> like they like to think they are to the issue of suicide. And the forces uh, have a long way to go to really interrupt or to get ahead of these issues. You know, I absolutely agree. At the end of my 22 years, I spent a couple of years with uh, 10 special forces group and I sort of describe it as, you know, you're selected and you're trained for resilience, right? So you have a large capacity for stress. It just means that's that much more stress that can be contained within that resilient container. Until it breaks. <laughs> right, until it overflows, right? And so it takes a long time for my Green Beret guys to get to that place, but usually when they explode, there's a huge crater and it sometimes these casualties, it's sometimes greater than just some of the other I don't want to say breakdowns, but no, and yeah, because I think also, you know, most spec ops cultures are kind of a work hard, play hard cultures. I certainly was part of that. And, you know, we go out and bust our butts for weeks or months at a time. Then we come home and drink every beer in the town that we could find. And um, when you use that as your mechanism for releasing traumatic stress, it doesn't do much good, right? It actually can exacerbate the problems. So I think alcohol contributes um, to these situations. I'm not sure if you know, see the alcohol showing up in other communities, but I just know that that's a big issue. Absolutely. And a lot of the veterans that I uh, work with addiction in general, you know, but we are a drinking culture. Uh, it's one of those things where it is a common thing we drink to celebrate. But a lot of times, like you said, guys and gals will come back, especially from doing something uh, in spec ops from overseas and stop you using the alcohol to celebrate and start using it to compensate. That's right. Yeah. The other thing is also kind of underappreciated the impact of sleep deprivation on um, post-traumatic stress. You know, we've been at war for 20 years of constantly being at war. When you're in a deployment training or you're at war, you know, sleep is optional for a lot of these ladies and guys. They're getting sometimes three, four hours a night and it's interrupted sleeping with one eye open type of thing. And, and so to compensate for that, you work hard and drink a ton of caffeine and Red Bull and, and just go do your job. It, it, unless the operator or the unit has a practice to de-stress every day, it's just going to build up and sleep becomes a big part of that, right? The sleep deprivation, the cumulative stress, the overcompensation or the compensation from alcohol, which doesn't happen in the combat zone, but sure does happen back home 
when they're doing the training cycles. And one other thing I will say is my experience in working with vets is that a lot of what causes the biggest breakdowns are actually trauma that pre-existed their military service. And so you, you, you see things like guilt and shame and you know, early shadow issues really just being blown way out of proportion because of the TBI and the, and the stress buildup and, and it causes these major breakdowns. And you're talking about a number of mix of different things. I mean, obviously insomnia is as much a, a physical, right? You know, it just, we can't shut down our nervous system. TBI is physical, it's neurological, but it is physical. It's a physical injury to the brain. But you're also talking about these behavioral issues when it comes to, you know, substance use. But you hit on something that, again, I as a mental health professional, also knowing a lot of Green Berets specifically, a a lot of the guys that I know just had horrible childhoods. It may be what made them stronger and strive for something better. And so it built up a level of resilience. But yes, like you said, military is as much running away from something as running to something. Um, And so we bring the baggage into the military and then it's just exacerbated by the experiences we have. Agree. We started a foundation a few years ago to help vets as best we could. We call it the Courage Foundation. And what we found was the integration practices of my program, Unbeatable Mind, which I used starting with SEAL candidates and had a huge success rate in helping them get through the SEAL training and, and maintain a balance while they're operating. We moved on from SEAL candidates and started working with elite athletes and then you know executives and entrepreneurs. And I had a few vets um, come through those programs and they had an extraordinary impact. But these were like highly motivated vets who had some issues, but they were able to be self-corrective and, and seek you know this type of training. And we were having these conversations about how powerful this training could be for vets suffering from post-traumatic stress. And when I learned that 22 veterans a day on average are committing suicide, my heart just ripped out of my chest. Like, I cannot believe that. Like, it's stunning to me. And I couldn't just sit around and do nothing. And we ran our first cohort of 12 veterans who were really messed up and suffering from post-traumatic stress last year. And the results have been extraordinary. Like 75% of them are just flourishing now. And so what we did is put them through a three-day immersive experience where we taught them these skills. And then we put them in a boat crew or a team with one of our certified coaches who was a military veteran themselves. We have several of those. And they're getting 18 months of coaching support at an individual and a team level. So now you can see what's happening. They've got tools which can de-stress them. They've got accountability so they can use those tools or they're being held accountable to use those tools every day. And they've got a coach there to guide them and to answer questions. And they've got the you know, challenges and just this whole sense of being part of a team again. And they've got a long-term process where they've got support. And they, one of the problems, I think, with a lot of these veteran um, programs, which are all great programs and all good intention, is that you go and you learn some skills and you get some training and then you're done. And then the uh, vet goes back to their environment, which, you know, as you know, is not an environment of excellence, right? It's, it's partly the environment that is, that is keeping them trapped and the people they hang out with, it's keeping them trapped. And so you've got to upgrade the individual's sense of self through these practices, but you also have to upgrade their environment by helping them kind of form a new team of healthy people. And part of that is the clinical support. A part of that is teammates going through the same thing and having success and mentors or coaches. And, and then you have to give them like a new sense of purpose, which will help with their self-esteem, their identity. And a lot of the teams, I'm thinking of like SEAL team guys, but any military operator, you know, they have a strong sense of purpose one day, and then all of a sudden they don't as a veteran. 
it's not such an issue with the active duty folks, but I think that can play in when they get depressed and anxious and then they start to think, you know, why am I here? Why am I fighting this war? And then so they, they can also lose their sense of purpose. But when an individual, any individual doesn't have a strong sense of why they're here and get up every day with an excitement around a purpose, then it's a problem. And when that individual also has TBI and post-traumatic stress, then you get despair. And despair is what leads to suicide. So we need to attack this multidimensionally, in my opinion, right? You attack it from the body perspective, from the individual sense of self and team perspective, having a purpose, and then the environments of excellence and, you know, moving away from addictive people and addictive situations or situations that hold people back. Hi, I'm Melissa Mosier. I'm a local Army spouse, daughter, sister, and a proud team member of Mill Media. I'm here at our headquarters at the Great Fort Head, Texas. Mill Media is a military-affiliated team that wants to serve you the way that you served our country. With mostly military retirees, veterans, and families as our staff, we understand the military mindset. Mill Media is the one place that prioritizes your goals above all else, which you will see from our incredible customer service. With over 25 years of experience, we work with everyone from startups, small businesses, entrepreneurs, and nonprofits. Mill Media Group is the digital division of Top Search Business Solution that specializes as a web design and digital marketing platform. So visit our website today for a free website analysis so that you can sit back, relax, and let us give you the perfect online presence. To hear more about what Mill Media is doing and will continue to do, call me today at 254-554-0974 or visit our website. That's millmediagroup.com. So call me whenever you're ready. I absolutely agree. And that was one of the things I was going to ask you, if you have seen this with a lot of the veterans that you've worked with, is we form an identity around our military service, right? Especially special ops, whether it's recon sniper, Navy SEAL, Green Beret. I've got a friend of mine, Jeff Adamak. He said when he was medically discharged from the Army, the Army said he couldn't be him anymore. And that's that sense of identity, not to use the the Navy term, but set adrift after the military. Yeah, it's it's a real issue. I think that there is a, a way to help a transitioning military operator understand that this is an issue and to begin to formulate a new sense of direction. Some nonprofits that I've seen successful in that, or one in particular in the SEAL community is uh, called the Honor Foundation. And the Honor Foundation takes individuals through a, a whole program, a transition program that's six months long. And they help them not only with, with transition type hard skills like resume writing and and hooking up with internships and everyone comes out of it with a great job, but also the whole purpose finding and architecting kind of a vision for where they're going to be in the next 10 years or the next phase of their life. That's also part of what we do in our Courage Foundation program is help people kind of create a new vision, help these vets create a new vision for who they want to be in five or 10 years and, and a new articulation of why they do things. You can be a warrior now in the civilian world. And so that's very motivating for a lot of these individuals who never really had to think about it or didn't have the tools for how to think about that stuff. I, I agree. I've heard of a difficult transition be referred to as a disrupted transformation. You know, we were civilians, 
you went to Navy boot camp. I went to Army boot camp. There was a transformation. You went to Buds, even more of a transformation, right? So it was, you went from one thing and transformed into another thing. And so you were uh, trained and assimilated and developed. But like you're saying, that same thing is not happening once we leave the military. We're not assisted in developing and transforming into that next level to be an integrated self who we were as the warrior to who we are now as the veteran. You know, you've mentioned a couple of different times about mindfulness, and this is something that you very specifically are an expert in, in meditation. We're finding now that it has neurological benefits. Advances of brain imaging over the last 20 to 25 years has shown that uh, mindfulness meditation in particular can strengthen the prefrontal lobe, which adds control to the emotional part of the brain. I'd, I'd like to hear from your perspective as a practitioner how mindfulness meditation can definitely calm yourself down, regulate your body, your nervous system, as well as help regulate emotion. Yeah, thanks. I think mindfulness and, and also breath work is really important. The brain is an organ and your mind is your sense of self and your belief systems and you know the different ways that, the, that you make meaning and, and take in information. So the mind and the brain are, are two separate things, but they can't exist independent of each other. So if you use your mind a certain way and you're exposed to excess uh, stress and trauma, then it'll affect the uh, synaptical connections and you know how your brain is wired and that then affects the quality of your thinking and your sense of self, right? And so the two go hand in glove. When you look at it that way, then you can say, well, I can approach uh, healing both from the brain perspective and the mind perspective. From the brain perspective, I can use something like neurofeedback or any type of uh, tool that will help me stabilize and and have the neuroplastic effect on rewiring the synapses in a healthier manner. So that's one perspective and they're very useful. And like the Brain Institute out in Denver does that very well with vets. They have a great program and I've had some friends who've gone through that and they do it from both mind and brain perspective. So they've got a good approach. The mind perspective really is about how do you use your mind, right? When you start to change the way you use your mind, it's going to change the way the brain works. It's going to change the neuroelectrical um, stimulus and response because you're doing different thing with your mind. So what I found is the two things that we begin to do with our mind that really dramatically have a neuroplastic effect, which means changing things for the better. One is breath control training, which helps the kind of the lizard brain, which, which controls our autonomic nervous system. And breath training then basically gets us out of the perpetual state of fight or flight. We used to call it arousal control in the seals, which we used it for performance, but the same training is used to de-stress and, and get the vet out of a perpetual state of fight or flight, which has the effect of calming the mind down, calming the brain's neurological activity down so the vet can experience more of that alpha calm, you know, reflective state as opposed to always being in like a hyper beta or gamma state, which is this hyper anxiety or, you know, checked out kind of state. So breath practices to me are also extremely valuable for vets because if the vet hasn't de-stressed, then the mindfulness practices are really, really difficult, if not impossible for them to do. So we start with breath practices to de-stress and stabilize the individual and rebalance the brain. And then we introduce the mindfulness which is essentially uh, to, to create a metacognitive capability to begin to watch the quality of your thinking and your emotional states. And that's like extremely liberating when a vet can state, sit there and recognize that I am not those thoughts. 
I am not those emotions. And oh boy, those are actually pretty damn destructive because they're negative, they're dark, and they're leading me down the toilet. And so now we've got this breath control practice, which is stabilizing our brain, getting me calm, getting me back into balance. And then we introduce the mindfulness. So we have that metacognition to separate from the thoughts and emotions that have been running me ragged and, and taking me places that I don't want to be. And those two interventions are extraordinarily valuable. And you're right, after just a few months of training, if you took an MRI, the brain structure is already dramatically changed and permanently, right? Permanently, unless the individual completely stops and goes back to their old ways, then those you know, the patterns might be overridden by the old patterns again. Yeah, this is something that I discuss and and work with some of the veterans that I work with is mindfulness meditation. You know, and it's not just sitting cross-legged on the floor with lotus flowers. That's what everybody thinks. I'm going to clear my mind. And so most veterans that I approach it with look at it out the corner of their eye. But then after a while, I mean, I had a veteran come in one time, sort of had this angry look and he was like, how come I didn't know about this before? It's worked so well. Right? He was so pissed because it was actually working. You be surprised, might be surprised and pleasantly to hear that now the SEALs are going to be teaching or are teaching breath control training and they're bringing mindfulness in along with visualization and also some like task orienting attention control techniques into the SEAL training. And the SEALs are looking at methods to kind of bring that across the force so that, you know, to develop more of a pre-resiliency and to use these tools to de-stress and to focus and to make better decisions on the battlefield. And that's great. And I think you've referred to it a little bit, but the suicide epidemic in the veteran population starts in the Department of Defense. It starts when we were active duty. I mean, everything, the injuries occur on active duty. And I think we've had this discussion in other uh, episodes of the show is, you know, who has the responsibility of this, but it definitely does need to be addressed while we're still on active duty and to be able to make that psychological transition that someday we're not going to be jumping out of airplanes anymore. Yeah. And I think that the um, DOD is starting to look at this and some of it's just happening organically because like I've been teaching SEALs these skills since 2007 and a lot of them are just doing it. At BUDS, they were doing these skills because a lot of the instructors were trained by me. And then, you know, they had a force master chief, former DevGrew guy named Mike Maggiano, who appreciated the power of these skills. He was hired to be a mental toughness mentor at BUDS. And so he started introducing these. And so they've been there for a while, but now like institutionally, there's a sense of urgency to formalize it. So that's all good news that it's coming in and it's going to be formalized. Now, they weren't like directed by the Department of Defense to do this, right? So that's all just so, you know, to create a better operator. And the SEALs are such a small unit that, you know, who knows if any of this will bleed over to the rest of the Navy or the Marine Corps or whatnot. So each service has to take a look at how they're training their individuals and the culture itself makes it okay for individuals and teams to take time to do breathing and and, uh, mindfulness practices before an op and after an op or whether it's a training mission or a real world mission, because they're extremely valuable. And you made a really important part, mindfulness. You know, when you're first introduced, it's helpful to be sitting on a chair or a bench, right? You're not doing all this active stuff, but the real work is to take it off the mat, so to speak, and to practice it while you're working out, to practice it while you're in, in office situations and to practice it even in combat, right? And so that's one of the most valuable skills that you can develop as a human being is to be metacognitively aware of the quality of your thoughts and whatnot while you're in action. And so it's an extraordinary skill for, for any military individual to learn. I agree. And, you know, something you said, and, and 
it just struck me is the the culture change that needs to happen. And uh, me maybe being a, a student of military history, I'm thinking about that post-Vietnam military where there was a lot of drawdown, there was a lot of substance use, and things really didn't start turning around in the military until sort of the early to mid-80s, especially in the Army. But it took a series of catastrophes or a long time of train wrecks to make a culture change. I'm wondering if that's where we are right now. Well, I think so, but it's like reinventing the wheel you know, we go through these long arcs. I, I remember seeing a video of post-World War II where, you know, all the all the soldiers who had essentially post-traumatic stress, uh, TBI, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, they actually had programs for them. And they would bring them into these institutions and they'd work with them and they'd do therapy with them and they'd have group talks and, they you know, the vets would share. It's like incredible. This is black and white movie I watched about all the stuff that they used to do for veterans returning from World War II to help them re-enter and to heal. And then all of that got lost, right? It just literally got lost and defunded and what everything when the war wound down. And then all of a sudden, like we're having to reinvent it all as if we didn't know any of this stuff. And the reality is we did know this stuff. We've just forgotten. It's weird. You know, every, every generation thinks that they're on the cutting edge. They don't realize what's been forgotten before them. You know, like all the these uh, skills that I use were used by the ancient samurai, right? And the yogis thousands of years ago. And, you know, people, we think that we're so advanced and yet these skills are timeless. Now, I think technology can help us a bit, but technology will never replace the warrior learning how to use their mind effectively and, and uh, developing emotional awareness and control. And, you know what I mean? Just being a really self-aware morally upright human being. I agree. And I think that, you know, the, the idea of there is nothing new under the sun, but hopefully after uh, reapplying this over and over again, we might be able to make some headway. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing. If folks wanted to check you out online, absolutely recommend the podcast, but where can they find you in the work you're doing? I appreciate you asking. So yeah, Unbeatable Mind podcast and you know, have some really extraordinary guests on there who go into you know meditation and brain science and peak performance and all that kind of stuff. A lot of people start with my book, Unbeatable Mind, which is a great read for uh, developing these practices. So that's available at Amazon or any place that books are sold. Uh, Courage Foundation, if anyone listening is a vet who is ready to do that kind of work or, or you know thinks that would help them, then we're be organizing our next cohort fairly soon. And we're looking for vets who want to participate in this program. That information and the, the request form can be found at feedcourage.org. Yeah, I appreciate that. I am going to make sure that all of those are in the show notes. Thanks for awesome. coming on the show today. Uh, it's been great, uh, super important issue. And I really appreciate the work you're doing. As I mentioned, when I first reached out to Commander Divine, he was very excited to come on the show to talk about this topic. This is something that's near and dear to his heart, as it is to all of us who have served or work with military and veterans. So what did you think? Well, I think this was another important discussion. It was full of critical insights. For example, Commander Divine mentioned a perception that elite warriors are often considered by others to be somehow immune to post-traumatic stress because of their nature and their training. And this is a common misperception. I believe it's related to suicide risk. Specifically, the myth of invulnerability sharply increases the experience of private shame 
for these warriors during times of distress. The truth is that even the strongest of us sometimes die by suicide. A man or woman can be a hero to many, noted for his or her uncommon bravery and unconquerable fighting spirit, and still be at risk. As I've worked with veteran and military leaders, I've observed that their first instinct is often to isolate in the hope of getting it together when their stress feels overwhelming. It runs against their instincts developed through training and culture to turn to the tribe when they themselves need support. This doesn't mean they don't believe in the power of help seeking, but they may feel shame and guilt when they need it for themselves. Our leaders and heroes often become our lighthouses, helping keep other people safe, holding strong against the storm. But what happens when the lighthouse itself becomes enveloped by lashing waves and raging seas? How does it signal distress? Who looks out for the lighthouse? And how can we make sure that all can turn toward the tribe of those they love and trust to lend them strength to stay in the fight? Leaders also need their tribe. You know, I really like that idea. Where does the lighthouse turn to if it needs help? Um, having uh, the last two and a half years with 10th Special Forces Group, having a number of Green Berets as, as friends and colleagues, you're right, they have this myth of invulnerability or invincibility, but it's also the fact that this is a very close-knit community, you know, and what happens inside the group stays in the group and what happens on the team stays on the team. And so I think it's natural to kind of keep these things close to the vest, which then just exacerbates uh, some of the secrecy around suicide. Yeah, and my second point really relates to that as well as to the concept of what warriorship is. So Commander Divine's work, from my perspective, helps us expand our understanding of what it means to be a warrior. His work aligns with the view that the warrior spirit is about something much deeper than combat operations. To quote Marine Corps veteran and author Stephen Pressfield, the warrior ethos is not at bottom a manifestation only of male aggression or of masculine will to dominance. Its foundation is society-wide. It rests on the will and resolve of mothers and wives and daughters, and in no few instances of female warriors as well, to defend their children, their home soil, and the values of their culture. Being a warrior is ultimately about developing self-mastery and sacrificing immediate self-directed rewards to protect the people and values you would die for. This understanding of warriorship can be applied to the realm of mental warfare. To learn to be seamlessly interdependent in the manner of a Navy SEAL boat crew is to reach the summit of our human potential. It's not a sign of weakness. The lifeblood of those who do battle together is love and trust between those who would lay their lives down for each other. I've walked with many warriors who have found themselves at the end of a tunnel of despair. In the realm of mental warfare, the bond of trust they share with their fellow service members is stronger than despair. When the tribe comes together and locks shields, it has a power that can defeat demons. What if we understood that the hardest thing to do is the bravest thing, to tell those we trust when we are not okay in order to draw from their strength? Here's a quick exercise to highlight this point. In the series of comparisons to follow, ask yourself, which of these two things is the more difficult action to take? In other words, which is the harder path? Admitting personal struggles with those you love and trust, or keeping your mask on and protecting your image of invincibility? Asking for help, or pretending like you don't need help? Seeking treatment in a mental health clinic, or trying to handle things on your own? 
One more. How about being persistent until you link up with a good doc or dropping out of treatment in anger and disgust? Presenting the choice between two paths one can take, the harder and the easier path, helps clear the metaphorical fog of war. Applying a tactical analysis to mental warfare helps warriors make the connection between interdependence and developing what Commander Divine calls an unbeatable mind. What did you think, Dwayne? I, I do agree. This idea, I think we've talked about this idea of bravery before and courage. And I think back to when I was an applied suicide intervention skills trainer. And, and one of the things is, is asking people, you know, would you go into a burning building to save a buddy? Or would you jump off a bridge into a raging river to save a drowning friend, right? And everybody's like, well, yeah, of course I would do that. And then I say, do you have the courage to reach out and ask them if they're thinking of taking their own life or thinking of dying by suicide or something like that? And, and people are like, well, I don't know if I'm going to do that. Uh, but that's an entirely different kind of courage. Yep. And it's the same kind of courage that it would take for them to say, hey, I need help. Not do you need help, but I need help. There's something not right with me. And there is a level of bravery there in exposing vulnerability, maybe. Yeah, one of the things I learned this last week, I was on a retreat called the Sparta Project with about 10 of my favorite Marines. I've got a lot of other favorites too, but I learned from one of the facilitators Dr. Michael Salonius, he's very skilled with linguistics and culture and kind of anthropology. And so one of the things that I learned that I didn't know is that bravery and courage are really not the same thing. We use them interchangeably a lot, mm -hmm. but the root of the word courage is core from the heart. And it literally translates into to share or show what is on your heart, which is really different than the kind of bravery that, you know, is required to run into a firefight. So yeah, I love that analogy that you've made about people's resistance to moving in close around certain things and their bravery in other domains might be totally unrelated to that. Yeah, I think in, in something along those lines, I actually had a, a veteran talk to me one time, the difference between fearlessness and courage. You know, fearlessness is that I don't know what the danger is, right? I literally do not have fear where courage is moving forward when I know that there is danger there. And, and I think that for many people having this conversation, there's too much danger. I don't want to say that people aren't courageous, but the risk maybe, or the, the potential for, for, you know, if I do something wrong, this is again, some of those myths that either they don't know that there's some, something there that they need to be courageous about, or that they think that the consequences are too great. And it goes both ways. I mean, courage to show what is in your heart is not just about moving in close and asking when somebody looks distressed. It's also about when you're distressed, going to those that you love and trust and saying, I'm not okay right now. Um, that's the other half of it. Sometimes I think we overemphasize, you know, looking at the signs and forget that there's um, another half of the relationship really, and that that person needs to move forward with courage as well. Yeah, we say my shield covers my brother and sister, but there is somebody behind each shield and that person is me. Um, absolutely right. I, I really appreciate those insights and I, I really enjoyed Commander Divine coming on the show. I, I think that he had some very unique insights. So I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Make sure to check out the show notes at veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash STMSS11. You can get the links to the things we talked about in this episode as well as on militarytimes.com. 
As a reminder, you can ask us questions or let us know what you think about the show by going to our Facebook group, moderated by the outstanding D. James, by going to bettermentalhealth.com forward slash group. While you're at it, check out our sponsors, Mill Media Group. They're a web design and digital media agency with over 25 years of experience in supporting service members, veterans, and their families. They specialize in working with startups, small businesses, entrepreneurs, nonprofits, and city and state and local governments. As a veteran-owned business, they're uniquely qualified to work with those who want to reach an audience in the military and veteran community. If you have a dream or a vision, they can help bring it to life and get you in front of your audience. You can contact them at 254-554-0974 or find them online at millmediagroup.com. Just a reminder that the guests and reflections on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be considered professional advice. While Dwayne and I are mental health professionals, we are not your mental health professionals. We always recommend that you discuss these things with a licensed clinician. You can find out more about the work that Shauna is doing by checking out her latest book, Beyond the Military, A Leader's Handbook for Warrior Reintegration, and the work that I'm doing with my latest book, Military in the Rearview Mirror. Both are available on Amazon and we'll have links to those in the show notes. And always remember, you can connect with the Veteran Crisis Line by calling 1-800-273-8255 and pressing 1, chat online with them at veterancrisisline.net, or texting 838-255. Thanks again for joining us to talk about seeking the military suicide solution, and make sure to follow Military Times on social media to keep up with the latest shows. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, remember, you're not alone, ever.